Well, once again, welcome. We are kicking off in the book of Hebrews. If you're new here, um, usually, normally, we are going through books of the Bible. And so this morning, we are doing a uh, study through the book of Hebrews, which kicks off today. We just got through, again, doing the uh, Serving with the Heart of Jesus series, which was like a a six-part series on the vision of our fellowship. And again, you can listen to the whole thing. If you missed any of it, you can listen to it online at CalvarySanJuan.com or now, again, you can go to Spotify or iTunes and all six messages are there. So if you missed that, you definitely want to catch up uh, and see what's going on, Um, especially if you're thinking about serving or praying about serving here in the fellowship. Uh, But for now, let's get into the book of Hebrews. So I'm going to kick off with just the first four verses, which will be kind of by way of introduction to the book. And so I'm going to read those four verses and pray, and then we'll get started on our message this morning. So it says there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And so, God, I just pray now that you would speak to us. Lord, we need to hear from you this morning. And so, God, I pray that you would give us a heart, Lord, to hear what you have for us this morning. And we need to hear from you, Jesus. And I I pray that you would then in return also empower me, Lord, to speak to your people. Lord, I thank you that the Spirit of God is in me. It's in us as followers of Jesus. And, God, I pray that you would tune us in, God, as I just simply just a vessel. Lord, I pray that you would speak your words in power with authority. And Father, I do pray for those that are sick at home. Lord, I, I, I think of Lori. I think of my own children and, and so forth. And just praying that you would have your healing hand on those that are in our fellowship, those that, that aren't mentioned, but, but you know who they are, God. We just ask that you would touch them, bless them, heal them, uh, and bring them, Lord, back to normal life again, we pray. And we just thank you for this time now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we look at the book of Hebrews, we're going to see that the book of Hebrews is a book that's really demonstrating the power of Jesus, that he is greater than all things. And we'll see how that develops as I get into this intro. Uh, But for now, the, the, the title, if you will, of this sermon this morning is Jesus is greater than our past voices. And you'll see that why in just a sec. So as we think about the book of Hebrews, it was not written because God is a coffee drinker, okay? No, did you catch that? Hebrews, okay, I know, it's cheesy, it's probably been way overused, I'm sure. All right, no, the book of Hebrews was written to give us an anchor for our souls, right? Jesus is our living hope, and because of what he has done for us, he has become that anchor, Now, as we think about Jesus being that form of anchor, you'll see that later in chapter 6, right? This anchor then becomes or keeps us from wandering out to sea to be tossed by the waves and the storms of this world. Now, as I think about the book of Hebrews over the last 20 years, especially as I was uh, reading this book and preparing for these messages and just trying to get the overall theme for Hebrews, I just realized, man, how many times I have dabbled in and out of this letter and how many times I've used 
verses or verses have blessed me and have encouraged me. And as I think about, you know, my walk with the Lord over the, again, the last now, geez, 22, 24 years I've been walking with the Lord now, I've realized that this book has definitely been a part of my journey. I have wrestled with the realness and the reality of my faith, like many of you, for sure. And I have at times been depressed, there's no doubt. There's times where I've been oppressed as well. I have sinned and I have had victory, right? And as I look at God's word overall, there's been huge times where this book has ministered to me in the middle of my discouragement. And on several occasions, this letter, if you will, man, I have heard the voice of God speaking to my heart on these things and have been challenged and, and convicted and definitely rebuked at times by the Lord uh, through this book. And for sure, there were times when, man, it has greatly uh, fueled my soul. And especially as, as at times you feel like your faith wanes, there's definitely been times where God has used this uh, to really push me forward. One of these verses uh, that, again, I was reminded of, and it's it, in one of my older Bibles, it's not falling apart, and I think it's got a little bit of mold on it. Um, this, these two verses have, were highlighted and circled, and, and something that at one point was just like memorized word for word, and it comes from Hebrews 13, verse 21, which incidentally, as it wraps the book, it almost kind of gives you this purpose to, to walk away with after having gone through the book of Hebrews. And this is what the writer says. He says, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I just remembered at one time, just that having been stamped on my soul. Now, as I think about this, in this letter, we're going to find that there's promises, there's testimonies of great faith. Man, the hall of faith is in here in Hebrews chapter 12, where, where you'll find that this book is steeped in the Old Testament. There's so many stories and images that come from the Old Testament out, and we'll see those, those testimonies of these, these men of God who took great steps of faith, not just men, but women who took these great steps of faith. We'll see that. There's going to be challenges in here to seek after God with your own heart. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 is one of those promises slash challenges that I have often, again, gone to. It's underlined in my Bible even now from years past. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, right? It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's that promise of pressing in and seeking the Lord with your whole heart. And, 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 you know, again, as I think about, you know, over the years of even ministering to kids or, do, or maybe a challenge to, in an altar call or, or, or I could say it this way because that seems real Christianese, right, of just, you know, giving an invitation for somebody to walk with God the first time, um, it, it is one of those promises of like seek God. And, 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 and go after him because God will speak. Here is a promise that if you seek him, God wants to be known. And we'll see that actually in these first three verses. Now, this, this book, like many of the books, were written right around that time period of 60 to, to 90 AD, right? But the, the, the unique thing about this book, which is 
Some call it a letter, some call it a sermon, some call it a book. It doesn't really tell us where it was written from or who it was written to. We don't have like, hey, so to the church in Ephesus or to the church at Corinth or to young Timothy, my protege. You don't have any of that. It's just like this sermon that just kicks right into it. Almost, almost expecting the reader to just understand that God is real and that he speaks and that we are all familiar with Judaism, right? That's the way the book is written. And, and now as far as, as to the church, I would imagine, though, just in studying that it is written to believers that are familiar or who maybe uh, formerly were uh, uh, Jewish believers or, or Jews, practicing Jews that came out of that faith who then now have become followers of Jesus. And so you'll see how it's just steeped over and over in the law and, and this imagery or contrast of the Levitical priesthood and all these things. I mean, there's some really sweet things around there. Now, again, if you want to nerd out just a little bit, uh, as far as who wrote the book of Hebrews, like many other books, it's pretty obvious like who wrote it. We know that Paul wrote Timothy and uh, and Ephesians and Colossians, they've got their signatures. First Peter, right? We, we know, you talk about this. Sometimes it's first-hand account. The book of Acts, I mean, you've got Luke writing it, and, uh, and then you've got Paul kind of switching in there. But Hebrews kind of stays vague. We don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There is one, uh, in particular, verse, Hebrews 13, uh, verse 23, where at the end we finally get kind of like a summary, like that benediction that I just read to you guys. He, the writer actually makes reference to Timothy, young Timothy, and says, hey, we're going to be together and we're going to see you shortly. So then you're like, oh, okay, there's a clue. Maybe it was Paul. But then as you read the rest of the book, you realize that it's really different than, than Paul's letter. So we're not even for sure if it was actually Paul who wrote it. Uh, some people say Clement of Rome possibly wrote that. He was a convert of Paul. And so it makes sense that he would have known Timothy. Uh, some say Apollos. Uh, Apollos was an, another convert leader in the early church in 1 Corinthians. We have reference to him when, when the church was kind of getting divided. And they're like, oh, I'm of Apollos. I'm of, I'm of Paul. Those guys, they, he baptized me. And they're all fighting over who baptized who. And Paul's like, just chill. Like, follow Jesus and don't worry about who did what or what, what not. And so Apollos is mentioned there. And so it's possible. We don't know. We don't know for sure. Um, which is kind of exciting in one way because it's a book that the early church fathers just simply recognized as authoritative and God-inspired. And here are some of the subjects that we're going to cover, right? As we look at, one, the Christology or the study of Jesus, you'll see that all throughout. It's all about Jesus. Um, you're going to see subjects about purification and the atonement of sin, sanctification, which is just a big word for like pursuing and knowing Jesus, allowing yourself to be set apart from the rest of the world, right? Um, how about a, a conscience? Sometimes when we blow it, we have this guilty conscience, right? And, and we have this thing that sometimes we could do to ourselves of trying to appease God by, by covering up our tracks. And, and the writer of Hebrews deals with that. How to ha just have a clear conscience based on the finished work of Jesus. So it's really awesome. You have topics on intercession, which is prayer, freedom from fear and death, our eternal inheritance and redemption. Right? We have salvation and the power of the word. How many times have you heard that verse, right? God's word is more powerful than any double-edged sword, right? Able to even pierce the, the innermost parts of our being. 
It's from Hebrews. And, and, and he, the writer just continually just shows how much greater Jesus is than all these things that I just mentioned, and especially than the law and the Levitical priesthood and the promised land and Moses, who the children of Israel would just look up to, who they adored and considered almost in, 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 in bad form as almost godlike. And over and over, Jesus is like, he is better. The writer's like, Jesus is better than all these things. So it really is an amazing thing, better than the sacrifices. In fact, the sacrifices all pointed to the lamb that would be slain, Jesus. He is greater than all of these things, right? Um, Peter O'Brien, he, he is a commentator on uh, the book uh, of Hebrews. He's something like 84 years old now. This is what he said about the purpose of the book of Hebrews. He said the book was written to exhort the hearers to endure in their pursuit of the promised reward, in obedience to the word of God, and especially on the basis of their new covenant relationship with the Son. Man, I think you are going to hear that driven over and over, how much greater Jesus is, and how we relate to God, not based on what we've done, but over and over and over, we relate and have relationship with God based on what Jesus has done. And, and you'll see that over and over through the book of Hebrews. Now, as again, as you'll, you'll notice, there, that overarching theme is Jesus is greater than, and I think I've got the logo, you've got little angels and the menorah and the law and money and our cell phones. You know, it's like he's greater than, than all of these things and so much more. But for now, we're going to look at three things that kick off the book of Hebrews, right? Three things, as I said before in my message this morning, entitled... Right? Jesus is greater than our past voices. Three things. One, God spoke through ancient saints. Two, the Son has spoken. And three, the Son is God manifest. Right? If there, and, and I love this because if there's any point that we ever, and we'll see that in a second, wondered what is God like, Hebrews tells us, look to Jesus. If you've ever wondered what God is like and, and God is love, you've heard these terms and, 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 and what, what is he like as far as what does he say about this or about my emotions, about my feelings, about death and about greed, all these things. It's like Hebrews over and over, look to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. In fact, he is the ultimate answer to who God is. And, and so we'll see that over and over again. So first thing, right, verse 1 God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. You have this, right? That God spoke through ancient saints, right? There's one guy, I think it's, it's uh, 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 oh, Jackie Hill Perry, who calls us saints and people who don't yet believe ain't. Saints and ain'ts, right? So God in the past spoke through ancient saints. Now, if you look at that verse, look at this. Right, because as I said before, this letter is like no other. It goes right into these verses simply just believing that we already understand that God is real and that he exists. But here is his highlight. Circle these words, right? God spoke. You can kind of for the second forget about at who at various times and in various ways, but just connect those two words. God spoke. That God spoke to humanity. In fact, the very first time that we ever hear of God speaking, it's right there in the book of Genesis in chapter 1 where it says, right, verse 3, 
And God said, let there be light. It's the very first thing. Let there be light. And then the Bible says, then there was light. God now reveals himself. God did not want to stay in the dark. Right? I love this. We had our, our small groups. I hope I get this right this past week. And, and so, you know, we, we, we started up small groups again in our high school group. And, and so we had some questions. And, and it was a difficult passage that was taught. And so I'm like, okay, I think of some questions. Okay, so how about this? You know, is there any doubts that anyone has ever had? Like, let's talk about any doubts you may have had. And so I'm like thinking like, okay, that's going to go over a kid's head. I'm, who knows what kind of answers we're going to get from some of these kids. And one of the kids there... Um, he's like, well, I don't know if this is necessarily a doubt, um, but here's something that always gets me like, like, when did God begin? <laughs> I'm like, whoa, all right, man, let's get into it. And so we, we started scrambling, Ooh, excuse me, we started scrambling, and it's not a person, it's a snare. <laughs> excuse me, sir. <laughs> um, I mean, what a heavy question. Right? And, and, and the answer is, is, as I think about this very thing, I mean, it's exactly, and, and we'll see this in a second later, right, as we, as we cross-reference this, but there um, in, uh, in Genesis, when God is speaking to Moses, remember? And, God, and Moses has this encounter uh, with, the, with God at the burning bush, and he's, like, sending him back to Egypt, right, to go and free his people. But Moses says, like, who should I say sent me? Who are you, so to speak? And God says, I am. I am. Just I, I am. I have always existed. There is no beginning, no ending. There is no, no thing where we can, okay, God began here. There is no that. God has always existed. Our existence began at a point in time, but God had always been. And the sweet thing as you think about here, God spoke, is that God chose in that moment to not remain silent. I mean, who knows how long that void went on? We will have no idea, right? Maybe one day as we are in the heavenly places, God will reveal that to us. But I think far better than that as the fact that however long God has been existing in our, in our human minds trying to grasp that, at some point in our time, not God's time. In our time, God spoke. And he wanted to be known. He revealed himself. He chose to reveal himself to mankind. I mean, to me, that right there is amazing. I, I mean, the writer of Hebrews is just letting us know as a church, as mankind, that God wants to speak. So many times we have, you know, especially you'll see how this, how this just really separates us from all other religions and so forth, of just chasing and wanting. I mean, do you remember, oh, I'm thinking now going into the book of Elisha, and forgive me if I get this wrong, um, you know, I'll look it up later, but do you remember when you have on Mount Carmel, when the gods, or it's like the battle of the gods, so to speak, right? And you have Elisha there, and they have these two offerings. He's all, let's set up the offerings. And so they had the, the priests of Baal were standing there, and they set up this sacrifice and so forth, you know, and they're ready to like, okay, we're going to call down, and whoever lights this offering on a flame of fire, as, as it burns up, that will be the one true God. And so they set up their, their sacrifices and their offerings, 
And then Elisha came over and he sets up his, but then he, he puts a moat all the way around their offering. Then he fills it with water and he drenches that pile. And they're like, okay, now call on your God. Call on your God. And there was no answer. You know, and it's so funny because Elisha's basically saying, well, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's taking a break. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Like, you know, call even loud. So they're cutting themselves and, and, and doing all this stuff, trying to get their God to speak, and nothing. Absolutely nothing. But what does Elisha do? He's like, God, so that people will know that you are the one true God. And then God, once again, reveals himself in just a flame of fire, just takes that thing into a big, giant barbecue, right? The water was nothing for God. And as you think about these things in the big picture, once again, you realize that God wanted to speak. God has always wanted to be in a place, we see from the scriptures, that he wanted us as mankind to know him, to be known by a God who speaks to us. Now, the, the writer says that God did that, but he also did it in various ways and in various times. The idea is that God, over our time, our known time, the spans, let's just say, you know, the midpoint of, of the Gospels, right, going backwards, in all that time, what we would call the Old Testament, God spoke in all kinds of ways and in different ways. He spoke to, to all kinds of people. Right? He, he was like, throughout the ages, throughout the time, God was revealing a little bit of himself to each age, to each family, right? To, 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 to Isaac and, and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and going on and so forth. And through the prophets, we get these little pieces of God. Remember when in the wilderness, when God spoke to, to, to Moses, he spoke to Moses, but to the people, man, they heard like rumblings, right? God was speaking. And as he spoke to those ancient saints, revealing themselves, it was all kinds of different ways, right? As I said earlier, Moses in the burning bush and God speaking through that, through that burning bush. To Isaiah, the heavenly vision, right? To, to uh, Elijah, the, the, the still small voice, one time through a donkey, right? Um, other times Ezekiel in the heavenly throne through a vision, where God is wanting to send Ezekiel to his people, and he's like, send me, send me, but I am a man of unclean lips, right? And then a cherub uh, took a coal from the altar and burned his mouth and cleansed him. And so you have all these ways where, where God is speaking. But one great example I thought was pretty amazing. If you look there in Numbers chapter 12, right? This is kind of a middle, the middle of a rebuke, if you will to Miriam and Aaron, who, by the way, were murmuring within the people of Israel, right? And they began to talk bad of Moses. But in that, you just have this testimony of how God, once again, spoke to the people, right? In Numbers chapter 12, verse 5, look what it says. It says, Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, and check this out, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him, right? In a dream, right? In a vision, right? I, I know to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream, right? And so you have God once again declaring, this is how he's communicating to mankind through dreams and visions and so forth. Joel says that later on it would happen in these last days. It will happen once again. Okay, but that there's an asterisk but there. Okay, but look here. 
I love this too. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. And then this is rowdy. And this is not really our point, but this is just rowdy. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That's heavy, right? I'll speak to you guys in dreams, in a vision. But Moses, I'm speaking face to face. And I've not hid my form. And yet you weren't afraid to talk to him, Rowdy. You weren't afraid to talk about him. Um, But that's kind of beside the point, but just reveals the holiness of God. And then once again paints this beautiful picture of how God, again, is speaking. How God in the past spoke to ancient saints and gave us portions of himself. Revealing bits of himself. Wanting to be known. I mean, think about that. I mean... Sometimes, like, you know, we will go through, especially for those that we have crushes on and all this kind of stuff, man, we will go through all kinds of stuff to reveal our intentions, right? We'll drop rose petals at the foot of their locker or, 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 or roses at the dinner table, whatever the case we, we will do. But none of you have gone throughout time and space and through the ages and dropped bits and pieces of communication so that we as his bride would be known by him. Because God is speaking and wants to speak and has always been speaking, but there is a point where it's leading up to something, right? I mean, think about it this way. It's like, uh, um, you know, which I don't like puzzles. I'm sorry, I fall asleep. Or when I am the ferry boat, it's like the last table I want to sit on. I want to sit next to the puzzle. You know, I I fall asleep doing it. My wife and the kids, they love them. You know, I mean, give me like the 12-piece puzzle. Like, I'll do that one and then call it good, right? But if you think about it in the picture of God's economy, right, it's like imagine getting like a 1,000-piece puzzle, but the first pieces you get is like the, the year, like, 8, 10, 20, 30,000 B.C. And then like 15,000 B.C., you get another couple pieces. Then, then, then you know, 1,000 B.C., you get a couple more pieces. Then, you know, 300. I mean, it's like all these little puzzles. And you're putting them together little by little. And then finally, and this is the rowdy part. Because some of you guys, you like the puzzles because you stick the little cover of the box, right? Right in front of it. And you're constantly doing this, right? You know, and you're doing this. Imagine trying to do that without the cover of the box. And you're like looking. It's kind of like how God was doing. Then finally, at some point in time, God gives you the cover of the box. And as you look at the cover, it's like this beautiful picture of Jesus. And then you're like, great, we can finish the puzzle. But as you look down at the puzzle board, you realize that it's completed. And there's this beautiful picture that over in various ways and in various times, God was portioning out pieces of who he is so that at the time, at the right time and in the right place, as God spoke through ancient saints, he would finally be revealed in fullness through the person of Jesus. Through the person of Jesus. That all those things... All those clues, all those things that, 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 that these prophets, Elijah and Elijah and Daniel and Samuel and Ezekiel, all speaking of the coming of Jesus, would all be fulfilled during like what we would call right the, the, the Christmas story or the nativity story. Where finally all we've wondered about who God is and what he's about and what his mission is all comes to fruition 
when the man Christ Jesus is born. Right? So, one, God spoke to ancient saints. Number two, God now speaks through the Son. God now speaks through the Son. Look, look what he says there. So in times past, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has now in these last days spoken to us by his Son. In these last days, God is now speaking to us through his Son, Jesus. Now, what are the last days? Right, some of us would be like, oh, the last days are coming ahead, right? Or, 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 or these are the last days because we see all the political craziness going nuts. So these must be the last days. Or we see, you know, they're, they're building the temple. They're redoing the temple. When we were in Jerusalem a couple years, they have this, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but not right now, always later, okay? Um, uh-oh, something's going on. But anyways, so we were there, and they have this huge menorah. It's like... Maybe it's this big. Hopefully I'm not exaggerating. You know, it was like this big, but now it's this big. So I, 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 maybe the glass case was this big, and the menorah's like this. But it's a big menorah that they're using. They prepare it out of solid gold to get ready for the temple so that they can institute once again the temple sacrifices, right? And you, you can see that it's on display there in this really thick glass thing right there in the middle of Jerusalem. And we might think, oh, that's pointing to the last days. But the reality is the last days actually started from when the time of Jesus walked planet Earth to the time that he was resurrected and ascended to the Father. From that point on to this present time and on, these are the last days. Why? Because all that the prophets spoke about in the past, it's all been fulfilled. It's all been fulfilled in, once again, the person of Jesus. And so when we look to, okay, what does God say? Yes, there is value in the Old Testament. Yes, there are principles to take and receive and to walk in. But what we want to know about God and all the mysteries that we wondered about God and his love and his kindness and redemption, we look to Jesus. We look to the scriptures. We look to the Gospels, your red letters, some of them, some of your Bibles have the red letters and make it a little bit easier for you to figure out and understand when Jesus is speaking. But the reality is God is saying now that if you want to know who I am and what, am I, what I am all about, look to Jesus. That's why it's silly to say, hey, you know what, the God of the Old Testament, man, that guy is whack and he's crazy and he's mean and he's angry, whatever the case may be, you know, but this Jesus, I can deal with that. That whole thinking is out of whack. Because all those things are a part of who Jesus is. In fact, you could say it the other way around is that Jesus was at the very heart of all those things that you think that another God or, or the Old Testament God was doing the Old Testament. No, that was all Jesus throughout the very beginning till now. The only thing is, is that God in the right time and in the right place put on humanity, right? So that we could come close. So that we could come Remember before, as we look at Hebrews, and he'll deal with that over and over again, you know, especially if you read like Numbers and Leviticus, you'll see the craziness that the priests had to go through just to be in the very presence of God. The cleansings, the washings, the sprinkling of the blood. Anyone who was not a Levite priest who came near the temple fall dead because you could not come into the presence of Almighty God. But then it changed, right? 
Because the veil was ripped, it was torn, and now God is saying, you can come near me. You can come into my presence. In fact, through the person of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, now I'm going to come live in you so that at one time you were far away and you couldn't come in. Now I'm saying, come on in and I will be in you as well. It's exactly what Jesus prayed. Remember John 17, when he prayed this great prayer, Father, make them one as we are one. And yet we're seeing it happen in the garden. And we're seeing it happen on the cross. And we see it fulfilled and done when the tomb was empty. And so God said, come in, because God has spoken to us. Look, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son, Jesus. You want to know what God's about? Again, I stress it again. Look to Jesus. Right? Here's the reality. And this is like a caution. There are no new revelations of who God is. There are no weird things. All of us are like, oh. Like most of the things that we're thinking are new are all devotional. It's all God personally speaking to us. But it's all filtered through what's already written about God who has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. And you can stand on that. And it's a promise. And as I said earlier in Hebrews chapter 6, it becomes the anchor of your soul that God holds you and you are held by him, right? Now look what happens there next uh, um, in point 3. And they kind of go, it's like 2 and 3 almost become point 3 because look what else he says about this, right, this very thing here, right, he says, in these last days he's spoken to us through his son, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he has by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Right, think about this for a second now. Now authority, everything about, again, who God is, right? He is now, Jesus is the message of God. Jesus now is everything we need to know about God. And there's like five or six things here. They actually could be sub points, but look at these, these five things real quickly, right? About the authority of Jesus, right? So he is the son, and these are the things. He appointed him Heir of all things. He is heir of all things. In other words, right, Jesus had, was basically the firstborn over all creation. John tells us, right, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Right, so he is the heir over all things. Right, Jesus has always been. He was there and he continues on. He is the heir. I mean, think about being heir. I mean, imagine like you, you know, you, you, you get a letter in the mail from a long lost uncle and all of a sudden you're like the heir of like this estate in Canada somewhere. I don't know, or even like up in the Ozarks or something, right? You'd be like, oh, I've got all this stuff now. He is heir of the entire world. He is the firstborn of all creation, of everything that ever was created. He is the heir of that. Look at the second thing. He made the worlds as well. Look at it says in verse 2. He is the heir of all things and through whom, now let your mind wrap around that, through whom he made all the worlds. 
Now the word worlds there is not necessarily a great translation because it speaks more of the ages. So it's not just that it encompasses our world and our solar system, but the idea is that all the points in history, I mean, how many of you love like watching like Time Life, you know, documentaries and things like that, and, and you watch these old BBC movies and you're like, oh, if only I lived in the 1800s and I wore these big poofy skirts and, and you know, and all these kinds of things or whatever, and you think like all these periods of time, or you think of back in the day of the cowboys and, and in the West, or you, you know, you think of, of the ancient Orients and all these discovery and like, you know, I think of like, man, to be there when they discovered what you did with avocados and lime. You know, you think of all the <laughs> guacamole, right? You think of all these things. And so, so that picture, that word worlds is not just that he is, right, that he made the worlds, but he is the creator of history, of all the ages. When we look back at the past and the present and the future still yet to come, he made all of those things. It's the person of Jesus. And you think, uh, I mean, when I think of this, it blows me away when then I start looking at the Gospels and I start reading all the accounts of Jesus walking in Galilee and Capernaum. And you think of all that power that was contained in the person of Jesus. And he was restrained, right? Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that I could call legions of angels to take these guys out? And so you imagine just all that power contained. I mean, to the infinite degree, it's like you as a, remember those, those bodybuilder guys? I guess they used to go, I forget, there was like a Christian group where they would tear like, like, like phone books and stuff. And they were like, Rah! you know, all this kind of thing. Imagine one of those guys like wrestling your three-year-old, arm wrestling your three-year-old, right? And he doesn't hold back. It's like that to the infinite power that Jesus had and was withholding and keeping all of this together. Because look what it says. That, look at it, it says that he is, he made all the worlds. It's not just that he's keeping it together, but he made all of this. Check the, check the next one out. Verse three. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So he, he, Jesus is all that God is, perfectly manifest, the brightness of God's glory. Now, the cool thing about the glory, those two words, if you like this, are the same words for when you look at the throne room of God, right? And if you've seen these pictures of it, like I said, in Ezekiel and in Revelation, and you have the throne where God dwells in inapproachable light, the same wording is used for Jesus. It's like the same source of light that emanates from the throne as the same thing that Jesus is, the brightness of his glory. It is like they two together are the throne source of that glory. Ooh, Daniel, leave that stuff alone. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know, just something going on. But, and look at the next one. He is the express image of his person. Right? Jesus is exactly who the Father is. He exactly represents God to us. So that if there ever was a wonder, and we have that at times, what is God like? What is God like? What does he think about me? Look at the Gospels. Look at how Jesus interacts with people. Look how he loves people. Look how he brought people to life, right? How he did all these things. He's, he's the exact representation of God. 
What is God like? What is he all about? What does he think of me? Look at Jesus. Look how Jesus loved humanity. Look how he interacted with humanity. And that's exactly how God thinks of us. Look at this other one, right? And this is amazing, right? He upholds all things by the word of his power. Once again, you kind of get that picture of going back to the all-powerful God holding it. The idea is that he not only does he hold the world together, not like that weird image of the guy with the atlas, you know, doing this kind of weird thing. Not like that at all. The idea that in him, Jesus, holding the world together. And you see that, right? You see that by what? By telling the winds and the waves to be still. Telling them to chill. He could speak into the elements and tell them to stop. Right? The same God who was spoken about in the book of Job when God appeared to Job and said to Job, were you there when I told the waves to go no further? Jesus and his power and authority who could also then speak to somebody who was dead in a tomb for three days and say, Lazarus, come forth. And by his word, which, which, which has the authority to bypass death and for Lazarus to come not as the walking dead, but to come out whole and clean as a human being and to have no weird side effects, but just simply because God is controls and is outside of all those things. He holds the world together and his authority upheld and cemented. And how did all this be? How did this all get anchored? Well, look what it says there. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on, on high. Right? He defeated death. He defeated death, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than the air. Next week, we will talk about angels, and, and this is kind of an allusion to that, that Jesus is better than angels because the thought was in those days that the word of God came to all people through messengers, through these angels, and, and, and here the writer is saying, no, he's so much better than those things. God spoke in the past through angels and men. And today he speaks and reveals himself in the person of our resurrected Savior. Jesus is the Son of God. I'll leave you with this couple of thoughts in last verse in Hebrews 9.27. Right? And, it, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart for sin, for salvation. In the meantime, as the writer says in chapter 1, he sits at the right hand of majesty. Because Jesus is greater than the voices in the past. Jesus is the direct link and is the link to God as we come to Jesus. Now, I'll leave you with this and just an encouragement. That being said, is that you can believe Jesus even over the own voices in your head. How many times have we had the enemy? And I would say the worship team, you guys can come on up now as we get ready for this. I'm kind of ending here. Um, How many times have we struggled, right, with those thoughts of doubt and those thoughts of defeat? 
or, or, or there's no way God will accept me because, or we've blown it, right? And, and, and so we, we deal with this kind of guilt complex in our own minds. On the outside, we have a smiley face. On the outside, we're like, okay. But inside, we're struggling with the voices in our head that tells us we're not good enough and we failed and we're miserable. And no one will really like you for who you are. And God is tired of you once again asking for forgiveness. You've worn Him out. I would declare to you that God is greater than those voices in your head. Because as we look at the, the book of Hebrews over and over, you will see how great and how powerful this great high priest is. That he was in all points tempted as we are. But yet he passed through the heavens. Jesus, son of, the Son of God. So let us hold fast our confession. Because we do have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. And who, as one songwriter would say, Lord, let your voice be louder than the voices that are in my head. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Jesus. And God, I pray now that you would speak to us.